Hey everybody, welcome into the I Want to Know podcast. I am your host, Greg Jones, and I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. I have a fun and different show for you guys today. For those of you who know me, no, I'm not big on horror films and zombies and, and that sort of thing, but I've tried to uh, jump out of my box or my comfort zone and talk to Jessica Robinson, who is author of the book Undead Obsessed, Finding Meaning in Zombies. The reason I was so interested by Jessica and her book is because it talks about the science behind zombies and she did a lot of research, finding out, you know, could there be an outbreak or how could there be an outbreak? Very interesting. Uh, And you know me, I like research. I like science. I'm a bit of a nerd. So this was perfect for me. So I wanted to talk to her about it. Uh, Before we get into that, I want to thank everyone for all the feedback I got on the show with David P. Ward. Lots of feedback. Thanks, guys. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad you're enjoying. And I even got people who did not agree. And I'm totally cool with that. I expected that, especially on a hot topic like immigration. So thank you. All right. No more time being taken up. Let's get right into it. I am being joined by Jessica Robinson, otherwise known as Pembroke Sinclair. She's an indie author. She writes both fiction and nonfiction. It's Pembroke Sinclair when she's writing her fiction material. She crosses many genres in her writing, including sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. For her nonfiction book, she's published two. One on slasher films. It's called Life Lessons from slasher films and the one that i really want to talk about today undead obsessed finding meaning in zombies jessica how's it going it's going great and thank you so much for having me thank you so much for joining me uh i have to admit and i don't mean this to come across as rude or anything it's probably not the the best thing to tell you right off the bat not a huge horror fan or zombie fan or that that sort of thing but i really was interested in the undead obsessed because uh for those you don't know it's all about research and science and the science behind zombies and why we're afraid of zombies. So that interested the hell out of me. Well, it's okay. I won't hold it against you that you're not a horror fan or a zombie fan. We can probably still be friends. Hopefully so. All my friends hate me because I do not watch The Walking Dead. Well, it's all right. Everybody's got to do what they got to do. That's right. Uh, There's football to be watched, not Walking Dead. I'm sorry. Uh, Anyways. You could DVR it. You could always watch it later, but, you know, whatever. I I, I could. I could. You're right. But, uh, you know, that's another discussion. It is. Totally. Uh, Yes. Uh, Before I forget to mention everybody, if you uh, like the the genres we talk about or if you like the undead obsessed that we're going to be talking about, you can find her at Pembroke Sinclair. It's P-E-M as in millions B-R-O-K-E, Sinclair, S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R dot blogspot dot com. From there, you can find links to her Amazon. You can also find Facebook, Twitter, all the good stuff and and a lot about her books. So make sure you check it out. Uh, All right. Before we get any further, can you please tell us a little bit about Undead Obsessed? Well, I have been obsessed with zombies since the first time I ever saw Night of the Living Dead. And that's when I was in junior high. I was not in junior high when the film originally came out. I'm not that old. (laughs) But uh, it's just, it always stuck with me. And it wasn't one of those movies that I thought was, you know, it didn't have a lot of jump scares at all. If you've seen it, you know. Um, But it just left this lingering unease with me. And I just, I wanted to know why. So I became very obsessed with zombies and I've always wanted to write about them, but I never knew what I wanted to say because there are a lot of great essays out there talking about them, you know, especially with George Romero films and how they're, you know, metaphors for consumerism and the racism and sexism and things like that, that happened throughout them. And then when my husband and I went to go see World War Z, that's when it became clear to me that I needed to write about the science. So if you've seen World War Z, 
you know the basic premise of the film is that they are looking for patient zero. And patient zero is the first person who got infected with the disease. And the reason it's so important to find that person is because knowing the region will help scientists figure out uh, where, hopefully where the virus started, if there's a way to combat it. And just, it's like important to know everything, if it's mutated along the way, all that other important stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, Science is so important. So I started looking at other zombie films and I'm like, science plays a role in all of these films, but they're usually not portrayed in a very good light. They're usually, it's usually the bad guy. True. And if they're not the bad guy, they're usually completely inadequate and can't actually do anything to fight the zombie virus or whatever it is that actually causes the zombies. So I look at it from a lot of different perspectives in a lot of different ways, and I got to do a lot of really fun research uh, to do this book. Yeah, you, you say something that's pretty true, and this isn't just a zombie movie thing. In a lot of movies, the scientist, at best, is a nerdy guy with glasses who can barely stumble his way down a hallway. Uh, Absolutely. Let alone competently fix a problem. Absolutely, which it's it's very surprising to me because... We, we have this love-hate relationship with science. I mean, we love it, obviously, because we get all of these fantastic advancements. You know, our cell phones came from science. Medical advancements with all the different uh, machines and tools they use and the fact that we can wipe out a lot of diseases. But there's also the bad side of science. You know, science also created weapons that we use for wars. And it can't necessarily get rid of some of the diseases that we have that still kill us. So we love it and we hate it. But we also find it very scary because a lot of times we don't necessarily know exactly what's going on. And science also kind of has a bad rep where they uh, come off as elitist, you know, where you have to be in this, the upper echelon to know exactly what's going on with science. And in a lot of ways, that's science's fault because they don't have a very good PR company. <laughs> Not a lot of social skills either. No, but that, that's also, that is a stereotype of scientists, which, you know, stereotypes usually are created for a reason. But at the same time, we have to remember that science is conducted by humans. Um, and yes, they may have a little bit more education, but they are still open to flaws. They still have all the range of emotions and issues that all of us humans have. So it's kind of unfair to say that, you know, maybe they're not very socially adept. True, though, even in a comedic standpoint, i.e. Big Bang Theory, the scientists are still mostly portrayed as, you know, essentially Absolutely. people with Asperger's. Absolutely. But I also recently saw an article where there are people in the scientific community who do not appreciate the reinforcement of stereotypes that come from the Big Bang Theory. I'm sure it's probably a lot harder to get dates. Right? Exactly. But, you know, if you just model yourself off of, um, oh, God, I can't remember what his name is, who's married to Penny now. Oh, uh, Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. Yes. Because I do watch a Big Bang Theory, too. Yes. Love Big Bang. <laughs> love Penny. Um, before we get too far into the science part of this, one thing you mentioned when you were talking about the, uh, the book was that zombies are metaphors for everything from racism to, to uh, sexism. Mm -hmm. how, how does that come through? So um, if you look back at George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, um, when it first came out in 1968, he did something that had never been done before, and he had a black man as his main character. Okay. And if you've seen the movie and you recall, there is a part in the film where he actually punches a white woman because she is hysterical. And at the time, that was something that was just, oh, my God, it, it wasn't done. It was 
you know, that's just, it wasn't okay. But I mean, the way he did it in the film was just so brilliant. And it broke down like these notions and stereotypes and ideas that we had and brought it to the forefront when you're in this kind of um, life or death survival situation where chaos pretty much rules. It seems like all social standings and rules basically get thrown out the window. But then a lot of them are also continued to be highlighted because uh, there's also the notion when Mr. Cooper comes up from hiding in the basement, Ben, who is the black man in the film, he's the one who has the gun. Hmm. And when Mr. Cooper comes up from the basement with his wife and a, another couple, he wants the gun because to him, it's a sign of power. If you have the gun, you have power. But Ben's not going to give it up. He's like, no, this is mine. I am the ruler of upstairs. If you guys want to stay downstairs, you stay downstairs. And so, of course, if you can imagine, a struggle ensues. Literally, a fight um, comes down, and one of them actually loses his life because he gets shot. And Mr. Cooper tries to lock Ben outside to die by the zombies. I mean, it's just this, this, it's this awesome you know, very metaphorical struggle, but it's not really even metaphorical either. It's really, it's very interesting how it's portrayed in the film. Interesting. Yeah. Um, all right. So how, or maybe more the who, what, where, when, why, and how, uh, Uh did you first make this connection between zombies and the human fear of science? Oh gosh. How did I come across this? So I think it basically just boiled down to the fact that like I said, so I was looking at how science is portrayed in these films. And then I was looking about at things that science has done for us and the fact that we just don't understand a lot of it. And so that's what makes us afraid of it. And if you think about it with anything that happens, science is very logical. It has a very set of rules of things that it follows to come to the outcomes that it gets. And zombies are not logical at all. They don't follow any of the rules. And so they are the absolute worst case scenario that could happen from science going wrong. And science can't control it because science deals with things that are natural, but zombies are completely unnatural. And so they are the product of just things going completely awry. Does that make sense? That makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. So tell us about some of the research, you know, I was, I was going through the book and you talked to people from water treatment plants and, and uh, universities. So tell us about some of the people you talked to. So the people I talked to were absolutely amazing and wonderful. And I do consider myself very lucky because I live in Wyoming and we only have one four year university here and I am lucky enough. I work for it and I am in the same town as it. So I have, right. It was awesome. So I have the ability to, you know, get a hold of these people and talk to them and, um, so for the professors, we also in this in our town have the state vet lab, which is where all um, so if we have animals that die or they're basically in a nutshell, they research all of the pathogens and diseases that happen within wildlife and cattle here in the state. Okay. And they have a section that's actually looking into mad cow and brucellosis and all those things that are major issues right now. And so I had the opportunity to go there and it's awesome because they are trying to get certified to be a level four lab or a level three lab. Sorry. Level four is the highest you can get. And level three is it's pretty high up there. And it's where, you know, you would have to wear the special suits. They have to have their own ventilation system. It has an incinerator and everything has to get destroyed in there. And I mean, I got to see all that and it was really, really cool. And so 
um, I got to talk because basically what I needed to understand was exactly how viruses and pathogens act. And if it was possible that, you know, in a lot of these films, zombies come from a virus. And if it would be possible that any of this could actually occur. So when I was speaking to the professor, he was so nice. I mean, he, he made sure I understood everything. If I had any questions, he was so kind to make sure he got those answered for me. He took me on a tour. Um, he himself was not a zombie fan. So I'm sure he thought that I was slightly weird, (laughs) but you know, it kind of went both ways because I don't know why you would want to work in a place with incredibly infectious diseases, but Hey, somebody has to, right? That's right. Someone's got to do that work. Exactly. So he was basically explaining to me that 60% of the diseases we have in the human population actually come from animals. And so that's called zoonosis. And they basically, animals are either vectors for them or they mutate and then they um, transfer to humans. And one of the easiest ones to explain would be rabies. So that's something, you know, we get from bats or dogs that are infected with it. So that would be zoonosis right there. But then he also told me that there are there's tons and tons and tons of viruses out there that we know absolutely nothing about. So when I had visited, one of the lab scientists was working on deer that had some unknown virus in them. And she was basically trying to figure out exactly what it was, what kind of impact it had on the populations, and then if it would have any kind of impact on humans. Hmm. And that's scary. I mean, if you think about it, if you're like, oh my God, And that's the thing with, you know, that world with viruses and bacteria is there is so much about them that we don't know at all because they also evolve a whole heck of a lot faster than we do. And we have actually helped bacteria evolve with um, all of our antibiotics and things like that. Mm -hmm. We have actually kicked them into the next, into their next stage. And so now they're becoming antibiotic resistant, sorry. (laughs) So, I mean, we have an impact on them just as much as they have an impact on us. And so that was really, really fascinating to me. It's like all the super strains of uh, bacteria that they're talking about that we're kind of screwed if we get it. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of, there's like staph infections that you can get from hospitals that they, at this point in time, don't have any cures for because all the antibiotics have mutated them to be antibiotic resistant. Um, when we are, when our antibiotics and stuff like that get into the environment, it also so through our waste that also helps them, and then also the um, the livestock industry, the practice of giving sheep and cattle antibiotics and hormones to make them bigger and more meatier for consumption, that has also had an impact on it too. Great. And so one of the questions I was asking him, if you remember in um, World War Z, I think it took twelve seconds for somebody who had gotten bitten to become a zombie. And so I was asking him, you know, something, uh, is it possible that a virus or a bacteria, if it gets into your system, would ever act that fast? And basically, no. I think the shortest time uh, is it's hours for them. And basically, it's because they have to get in there and they have to start replicating and doing their thing and multiplying before it can take over our system. But at the same time, to think that it could happen that way is really, really scary. Yeah. And how would science stop it if it got to that point? 
So, and then part of the reason I went and talked to people at the wastewater treatment plant and the water treatment plant is because, you know, obviously science gave us this fantastic technology that allows us to turn on our faucets and have clean water and we don't ever have to worry about it. But if something goes wrong with that water, it can be really, really detrimental. And that notion came from the film, uh, The Crazies, the remake that came out in 2010. Okay. Is a bit more zombie-ish than the original that came out, but in both scenarios, the the pathogen is uh, transferred through the water system. And so I was just curious for me too, because I'm like, well, I, I don't really know how a water treatment plant and a wastewater treatment plant works. So I sent an email, and they're like, yeah, come on down, we'll show you everything. And it was really, really cool. And again, the guy at the water treatment plant was not a zombie fan pretty sure I got a couple sideways glances, but he was really, really awesome too. And he was incredibly helpful and he answered all of my questions and yeah, just, he played along and he actually uh, led me because I was like, so what exactly, if nothing so far that you have seen, what would be something do you think that could cause zombies? And he actually led me to this notion of uh, prions and um, endocrine inhibitors. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, and that gets into this into the water system from waste and medicines and all this other stuff and chemicals and things like that. So, I mean, it was just it was fascinating. I mean, because I mean, even late recently with everything that's going on in Flint, Michigan, with the lead that was in the water. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator of if something gets into the water system, how detrimental it could be to a society and how much of an impact it can make on them. And there have been cases throughout history of the water supply becoming contaminated. Um, There was one in, I want to say the 1800s. I can't remember. It's in the book in England where there was a huge cholera outbreak within one certain area that, you know, ended up killing quite a few people. And that basically it came from a water source. And once they figured out how to uh, get that cleaned up, everything was fine. So it's it's fascinating to think about how all of these things are connected. And I did the wastewater treatment plant is because the reason we treat our wastewater is because it gets back into the system. Okay. Yeah, so when we flush our toilets, when we take showers, when our washing machines drain, it goes to the wastewater treatment plant. It gets treated. It doesn't get treated to uh, drinking water quality at all. But, I mean, all the solids get taken out of it. A lot of the harmful stuff gets taken out of it. But then, like I said, it gets released back into the wild. So it's possible it could get back into the river systems, which means it could get back into our water systems. It'll be treated again. But, I mean, there have been issues, too, where wastewater treatment plants haven't been treating the water properly. And then places down the river from it will have problems with their water. So it gets treated on the way in and then once again on the way out. So yes. if it does come back through, theoretically, they're doing their job and it, it's all treated. Yes, and we're not going to get sick from it. Knock on wood. But that's right. the fear. The fear is that something's going to go wrong and we're going to get sick from it. Well, and talk about fears. I mean, after this, do you wonder why that there's not armed men with AK-47s at every water treatment plant? <laughs> yes. And it's actually very interesting that you bring that up because if you think about it, water, aside from oxygen, is probably the second most important thing we humans need to survive. And there have been wars that have been fought over water rights all over the world. And so, yes, it is. It's very, very fascinating that that it's not a much more protected kind of 
thing, uh, resource, because it's, it's incredibly important. But at the same time, it's also a renewable resource. True. So I think that that helps matters a lot with the water issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of the things I thought of when, when I was reading the book and I was reading your email about talking, you know, you talked about going to the water treatment plant was um, while you're there asking all these questions about how, you know, essentially take down a water system. No one decided to run a background check on you or, or start asking some weird questions to you? No, that's really funny because my editor, um, actually, when she was editing the book, made a comment about how um, you better make sure that you can put all this information here because I think this is protected information. And I'm like, mm, no, it's not. It's it's public information. And they do. They allow kids and stuff to go through water treatment plants. They take um, school groups and Obviously, pretty much anybody who calls and says they want to go check stuff out, they can go check. Even if you're crazy enough to be like, I'm writing a book about zombies, they're like, come on down. The qualifications so, are low. Apparently. And I honestly don't know if all places are like that. I mean, I live in a small enough place that maybe it's not an issue at all. I mean, like if I lived in New York or D.C. or L.A., maybe it's different. I don't know. I really don't know. I didn't question it. I was like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so why do you think that people's fear of science has kind of evolved into this zombie and, and other horror things instead of just, you know, back in the day, if you're afraid of something, uh, say witches, you mm-hmm. you took your pitchfork and your torch and you went down to the village square and you protested. Why is this manifesting into these, these films and stories? Um, again, I think it leads back to the double-edged sword where we have a love-hate relationship because we honestly, I don't think, would function without science. And honestly, would we want to? I mean, would you want to be without your computer? Would you want to be without your phone? No would way. you want to be without your basic entities such as cooking on a stove or getting fresh water from the tap or going to a grocery store to be able to buy your food? So it's this notion that we need it and want it, yet at the same time, it could come back and be completely deadly and kill us. How do you think the concept of zombies has evolved? You know, you talk about, um, you know, back in the 60s where it first was this concept of, uh, you know, slow moving zombies. Right. How has it evolved from kind of the originals? I don't know. Would you say that Frankenstein is the original zombie or... Actually, I would, because if you look at zombies as the simplest definition, it is a reanimated corpse. And that's exactly what Frankenstein's monster is. It is a corpse that had been reanimated. Obviously, he's not like zombies we know today because he has the ability of free thought. He can learn. He can um, evolve. And he could be human-ish. But again, he's still a reanimated corpse. And technically, um, the first zombie, well, I shouldn't say technically, there has been a long history of zombie-like creatures that have been within legends and stories for humanity for pretty much since we've been around. So Asia has their sense of zombies. Um, There's just, they're everywhere. And then... Yeah, I liked in the book the one from Japan. The... Gosha Dekuru, yeah. I can never say that one. The, the one that's 15 times larger. That sounds awesome. Right? Like and that actually sounds scary. Right? And you can't kill that one. It, it, You're just dead. You just have to hide from it. Right. Um, and then, of course, you have your Haitian zombies, which really kind of brought the notion of zombies into mainstream. And they have a lot of movies that were made off of those. So the first one you have is White Zombie that came out in, I believe... Late 20s, early 30s, 
it's black and white. It's not bad. I've seen it. It's pretty good. And okay. then there are some other films that go through there that talk about the Haitian zombies. And then, of course, Night of the Living Dead first introduced us to the slow shambling zombie. And then 28 Days Later is the one, is the movie that first introduced us to the fast zombie. And I, you know, I think that I, a lot of times I think the creatures evolve and become faster to become scarier because, you know, there's this notion that when you get to this, a certain point in time, you're going to like, you know what, we're going to be able to fight a slow zombie. We're going to be able to get rid of them, kill them. It's not going to be an issue, especially as technology advances. But then you get a fast zombie and it's like, oh crap. Now what are we going to do? But you also have this notion of a zombie evolving to become human again. And the it starts in Romero's five films. So you have Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead. And I think there's one more, but I can't remember. But basically those <laughs> films. And so in Day of the Dead, which is the one where they are kind of locked in this underground bunker. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but that's the one where the scientist has the zombie up in a room at Bob, who won a pretty famous zombie, and he can start relearning things that he used to remember from humanity. So he remembers how to use a phone. He remembers things about music. And then by the end of the film, he remembers how to use a gun to get revenge. And then in Land of the Dead, it starts out where zombies are kind of trying to mimic their human lives. So you have a couple walking through the park holding hands. You have a band playing in a gazebo. Not well, but they're trying. (laughs) You have um, Big Daddy, who's one of the uh, main zombie characters, who was a gas station attendant, who whenever his bell is hit, comes out to pump gas. And he's actually the one that becomes self-aware and realizes that there's this difference between zombies and humans and that these humans are coming in and killing his kind. And so he goes after the humans and there's like at the end kind of this uneasy truce between the human survivors and the zombies. It's like, we're going to go do our thing. You go do your thing kind of thing. You live and let be undead, I guess. (laughs) And then you get the idea in warm bodies of, Zombies actually being able to come back to join humanity. So it's it's really, really fascinating. And I'm, I'm really interested to see where it's going to continue to go. But then you also have with The Walking Dead, they are very much so, I think, the traditional kind of Romero zombies. Because they're, they're very slow, but they are very massive in numbers. So that's why it's really hard to kill them and to get rid of them. Yeah, I think the ultimate like zombie, you know, scary movie, you'd have to have like an army of LeBron James zombies, you know, <laughs> something like super athletic and fast moving right. and and uh, easily take you down. That's, that's the way to do well, it. Well, but I think part of the reason that zombies are also so successful in what they do, especially when they're the slow zombies, is because there's not actually a lot of humans left. So they definitely have numbers on their sides. And if from a lot of films and TV shows, the survivors aren't necessarily always that bright. True. So it's it's kind of the same in all horror movies. I mean, you can't have super smart survivors or else the film is not fun. You know, you, you want to yell at the TV screen and you want to say, don't go in there, don't do that. That's what makes horror horror. <laughs> Just shoot them already. Just shoot them. Oh. But, and that's also why it's fun for us as the audience to be able to sit back and say, Oh, I wouldn't be that stupid. I would totally survive that because I'm way smarter. And I also believe that that's part of the point of horror. 
That's true. And if you have the slow-moving zombies, it, it's also easier to laugh when they don't run. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was watching, not a zombie movie, I was watching uh, Tremors last night. I love that movie. God, it's such a horribly great movie. It's, <laughs> it's horrendous. Oh, terribly good. Yeah. Don't get in the car, stupid. Right? Anyways. Uh, so <laughs> back to zombies. Why all the human eating? Yeah, I'm, I actually look about at this. So one of the things that if you think about cannibalism is the worst thing humans can do. It's just awful. Why would you ever think about eating another human? True. There's actually, there's no laws against it. It's just um, a social stigma to do. I mean, even if you think about in survival situations where people have done that, it's like, well, I know you did it to survive, but at the same time, there's just kind of this feeling to it. Yeah. So, I mean, humans daily, we are killing each other in one form or another. We're doing horrible, awful things to each other, but more often than not, we're not eating each other. But when it does come to that point, it is just the most horrific awful thing that we could ever do it puts us it takes us out of the human realm and definitely puts us into the monster realm and so i think that's why it's very important that zombies do that because they still are human-ish but once you start consuming humans then you're completely you're into that other realm and you're just (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense um all right in the book you talk about different types of zombies that could arise, mm-hmm. you know, like space zombies and, you know, mm-hmm. zombies from the, the water uh, situation. So can you tell us some of the different, like explain the space zombies a little bit. Okay, so space zombies would definitely be Night of the Living Dead because they were created when a satellite comes back from Venus and has a whole bunch of space radiation on it. Okay. And whatever the space radiation does, it causes the dead to rise from the grave. And I actually was able to speak with an astronomy professor about the possibilities of that happening. And obviously, it's not going to happen. However, space radiation is a huge concern because when you're in space, you don't have anything to protect you from it. Here on Earth, we have our ozone layer and our atmosphere that pretty much protects us from it so mm-hmm. astronauts usually come back and have an can have an array of health issues because of um space radiation and then i also talk about the film the ghosts of mars and oh it's a great film it's it's definitely one of those ones that flew under the radar and it's about colonists who go to mars and they are trying to build the planet so it's habitable and they basically have miners there who are creating an environment. And while they're there, they find this kind of alien um, artifact. And a scientist is the one who accidentally unleashes this red cloud, which is the ghosts onto the planet that then basically possess people and turn them into zombies and they start killing people. So it's this notion of the unknown and not knowing exactly what's out there and how it's going to affect people and have it turn. And another movie that's a really good example of space zombies is Doom, which I don't talk about in my book and I don't know why because it's one of my favorite (laughs) films. But again, it's kind of that same notion. They're on this other planet. I think they're on Mars in that planet too, but I can't remember. And they find this ancient race and then these zombies, horrible things come out and start killing people. And it turns the humans there into these creatures and zombies that kill the humans. So the space zombies are kind of a a fear or multiple fears put together. Not only the fear of science, but the fear of the unknown. Yes, exactly. 
and not knowing exactly what's out there and if it's going to be friendly or if it's going to be detrimental. But if you think about most sci-fi horror films, it's not nice at all. It comes in and kills us. There's very few nice aliens. E.T. was one. <laughs> um, the one, Batteries Not Included. Do you remember that one with those little, like, uh, I don't metal think so. space? Oh, it was from, I want to say the 80s or 90s. It was a while ago. There's a few, but I mean, it's not scary if they're not coming here to kill us. Yeah, what's the point of that? Right. Independence Day, come on. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Or fire in the sky. Yes, yes. Um, All right, what other zombies could could potentially arise that you talk about in Undead Obsessed? Um, Well, definitely Haitian zombies. Uh, They're not as scary now as they used to be back in the day. But um, it's this notion, for Haitian zombies, it kind of comes from the idea of not necessarily understanding what's already in our world. When anthropologists go in to study all of these new um, societies and cultures and things that they find, the fact that they could maybe come back and be um, murderous and scary to us here in America especially, that's where that fear comes from. And it's really, really fascinating because the book The Serpent in the Rainbow is, or I'm sorry, the movie The Serpent in the Rainbow is based on a book by the same name. And the book was written by an anthropologist named Wade Davis who went to Haiti to study and find out exactly where this notion of zombies came from. And it is created with a combination of science and magic, which is really, really fascinating. So basically the potion is created from pufferfish. But you have to bring in the societal and uh, magic notion of it because people in Japan eat pufferfish all the time. And they every so often get poisoned by them, but they don't come out of this poisoning thinking that they're zombies. So it's the scientific and cultural way to explain it. And uh, so there's this fear that people in Haiti are just going to start targeting the rest of the world and turning people into zombies and making them do their bidding, which is what the serpent in the rainbow is about. But the truth of the matter is, is that's actually not what's happening there at all. And so it's, it's really, really fascinating to look at that aspect of it. It's kind of a power and control thing where people are going to be like, I want to control you. So I'm going to do it by turning you into this mindless individual. And that notion also plays a role in Reanimator, which came out in 85, and it's based on an H.P. Lovecraft short story. Again, one of my favorite movies. It's so awesome. It's so horribly 80s and so horribly cheesy. <laughs> but it's, it's really, really awesome. Lots of denim and fluffy hair? There, uh, I don't think there was lots of denim that I recall. There was definitely fluffy hair, though, for sure. Has to be. Yes. <laughs> Uh, with the Haitians, and we don't need to give uh, all the details because people need to read the book, but right. with the Haitian zombies and the the pufferfish, right, the pufferfish mm-hmm. poison, um, that actually started off as a medical thing, right? Like that's like a legit thing they were using, so that kind of has some actual uh, basis in it, right? Yes and no. I mean, it's it's definitely so. Basically, what happens when you get poisoned by this pufferfish, from what I've read, is that it puts you into a catatonic state. It Basically, in all intents and purposes, you are dead. They can't, you can't find a pulse. You're not breathing. You're just, you're gone. But the thing is, is that you, the person who is in this state, is aware. They are awake and they can see everything that's going on, but they can't move or speak or do anything to signal to the people that they are actually okay. So, I mean, it just sounds like it would be completely and utterly hellish. And until those effects wear off, 
I mean, and that's the big thing is that in Haiti, when people would get this, when they would be administered the zombie potion, they would fall into this catatonic state and then they would just be assumed to be dead. So they would be buried. They would actually go through the funeral services and they would be buried. And then, and then that's when everything would come back. The, the Bokor would come back and basically raise them from the dead and, and then there were some other poisons and social things that created so that they would become this zombie slave and all this other stuff. I, like you said, I don't want to give too much away. So, But, I mean, in some cases, I'm sure it is used medically. I'm sure it's probably a really good sedative. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <At least. laughs> too so. bad you'll know everything that's happening. Right? And actually, um, that's one of the things in the movie that they talk about, which I think actually happened in real life, was that pharmaceutical companies did want to know if it would be um, a proper way to do anesthesia with patients. So because, you know, we have so many complications with anesthesia and people coming out of it and having, you know, just uh, medical complications. So they're like, oh, well, maybe if we could use this instead of these alternatives, it would be better for the patients. But like you said, if you're aware of it, no, no, it's not much better. <laughs> yeah. That would be horrible. Um, yeah. Do you think that there's a possibility that, uh, you know, we talk about this being the fear of science. Do you, do you think zombies could represent more of our fear of a lack of science as in, you know, you're unable to cure disease or fix the outbreak in the water system? Absolutely. For sure. But, I mean, there's also that notion that science is the one that causes the zombies. So if you think about uh, 28 Days Later, and that, maybe that's not the best example because science is not actually the one that lets, um, let's go back to the crazies. The crazies is a really good example of that because what happened with that particular pathogen that got in the, in the um, water system is it was a biological weapon. And it was something that science had created to be able to fight wars. And, you know, we have been, humans have been practicing biological warfare since the dawn of time. I mean, you would have archers who would dip their, um, the air, arrowhead points into feces and shoot them at the enemies in the hopes that it would become infected and they would get a horrible disease and die. People would throw um, plague blankets or bodies that have died from disease into enemy cities, hoping that an outbreak would occur. Because if your enemy's sick, they can't fight. Sure. So, um, so absolutely, there's the fear that um, if science causes it, then they, if they can't fix it, that's incredibly scary. But yes, it's also the lack of science, because when these things do arise, they're powerless. They can't do anything because they don't have time to study it and actually do anything with it. Yeah. Um quote from the book you said i had a professor in college who told me that every film has a message but if you really want to know that what society is afraid of watch horror yeah uh, what about really stupid horrible horror movie you know like tremors like that doesn't represent society's horror horror of you know weird snake creatures well it doesn't uh, think about just don't think about the horrible the creatures in and of themselves okay whatever they look like that's fine but think about being in the in this tiny small town where they are at, and they are being attacked and killed by something that they can't see. I mean, and where do they go for help? Who do they look towards? Who's going to come save them? They can't call anybody, so they have to depend on them themselves. So there's this notion that if you live in these small little towns, I don't even remember why they're out there. Aren't they mining? I, you know what? I don't even remember. Or is it, yeah, so I mean, it's Something just like this that. notion of 
this if even if you want to be alone or i mean even if you live in these small towns you have to be able to fend for yourself because nobody's going to come out and save you i mean and whether it's by choice which for a lot of people those it is but at the same time that kind of environment that they are in while it sustains them it could also kill them even if it's not the tremors that live underneath the ground i mean they're in the desert if they don't have water, they're going to die. If they are exposed for too long, they're going to die. So they have to be very savvy and be able to fend for themselves to be able to live. And so I definitely think there's a societal message there that not everybody is fit to live out in these isolated areas. That is true. Okay, fine. You made your point. You win. <laughs> Sorry. I, I didn't mean to <laughs> no, I'm totally shoot that out of the water for you. <laughs> totally, I'm glad you did. I'm totally joking. That was great. Um, so wh- why do you think based on that, you know, situation. Why do you think there aren't more quote unquote horror movies about say terrorist attacks? I, and I think there are, I really do. I just think that they are done in a much different way than they are done. Um, so even if you think about some action movies, so if you think like right off the top of my head, Black Hawk down, um, White House, down. What's the one that just recently came out within the last few years? White House something. I can't remember. I mean, there's there's several of them that they're, they're considered action movies that do bring in this kind of notion of terrorists and this idea of um, bad people coming in and killing us. Right. But even if you think about the horror movie, um, oh God, I just, I can see it in my head, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, okay. where you have these towns and these aliens basically come in with pods and they, um, the pods then hatch the person so that it looks exactly the same. Do you know what movie I'm talking about? I, I know the title. I don't know anything about it. Okay. So that film was basically a metaphor about the notions of communism that were going on at the time. And it was huh. this idea that you never know who is going to be a communist. And they are going to come in and they're going to quietly infiltrate your town and your city and they're going to start taking things over and the people who don't conform and who don't become basically these pod people get killed interesting and so i mean and then in a sense that's kind of terrorism so it does it it does it on a a more subtle level because the main premise of horror is that it's got to be us versus them but what makes it scary is that when them look exactly like us how do you fight that and so it does it. I think we do have more movies. And, you know, technically you could probably even say zombies is kind of a form of terrorism because it's this entity that comes in and destroys us from within. They look exactly like us. They're humans just like us, but they're trying to destroy us. And so we have to fight to survive that. That makes sense. And, and if you bring it back to chemical warfare, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's a, a fear with terrorists that could, you know, re- un- leash some sort of chemical warfare and zombie movies are some of them are chemical warfare things released into the water they become zombies people die all that kind of thing yeah but even with viruses and bacteria too i mean if that's what causes zombies to rise that could even technically be biological warfare depending on how the it gets i mean not you don't always necessarily get a explanation of how, how it starts sometimes you do but sometimes you don't so and that also makes it scary yeah that's true. Um, all right. We'll wrap it up with this one. Uh, the book, once again, Undead Obsessed, Finding Meaning in Zombies. Uh, based on your research while doing the book, what would be the most likely reason or scenario for a zombie outbreak? 
that I would say personally or that I found in my research? Well, that you have the conclusion you've come to through your research. Um, well, I don't ever come to any easy conclusions, to tell you the truth, because, you know, anything really could do it. But if I were to venture a guess, I would definitely say it would have to do with um, proteins and things like that. And they're called prions, and it's basically what causes mad cow disease. Okay. And um, humans get a variant of it, but we can also get mad cow disease from picking up or from consuming infected meat. So if I were to say, and that affects your brain and how it functions and everything. So personally to me, I would say that would be the most likely scenario or some kind of virus. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, the mad cow disease, people can get it in a form they call it CJD. Yep. Was it like Kreutz something? Kreutzfeldt Jacobson's disease. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's interesting because it really does eat your brain kind of from yep. the inside out. Uh, not to get personal, my, my grandmother had it. Oh, and, gosh. And it gets to the point where it is very, very zombie-like. Yeah. Uh, it, it's horrible. It is. And from the research that I had done on that is that they can't diagnose it until – it actually until it's in its very very late stages yeah. because it also kind of a lot of the symptoms could be symptoms of so many other diseases right and your and brain so, looks like a brain that's had dementia for years yes and that's what they thought oh she has dementia well she was talking fine last week when you mean she has dementia yeah and it is and by the time it gets to the later stages when they can actually diagnose what it is at that point they, they there's nothing they can do Right, and they still can't fully 100% diagnose it until mm -hmm. they, you know, biopsy the brain. Exactly, so. exactly, and they can't do that while the patient's still alive, unfortunately. Right, yeah, so if someone was to spread that around, that would be horrifying. Absolutely, and it's very, very, very rare. I'm sure you know that the disease is very rare. However, right. variant Creutzfeldt-Jacobson's disease, I don't know how to say it for sure, is what we get when we consume tainted meat from that cow. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's the disease. So it's pretty much the same thing. And again, it's one of those things that they can't diagnose until it becomes. And the thing with that, though, the reason it's not as scary as some of the other viruses is because it's it can't be it can be passed, but it's not easy to pass um, that disease throughout society. Right. You're not going to sneeze on someone and pass right. it along. Exactly. You didn't get it. No, it has to be, you actually have to be contaminated by, I think the brain material or stuff from the head, if I remember correctly. Yeah. That's what I understand. So very interesting. Uh, everybody listening, even if you're not a huge zombie fan, I already, I already admitted that I'm a horrible person. I am not. <laughs> this book is so interesting. All the science and research is what I really enjoyed. Undead obsessed finding meaning in zombies check it out on amazon it's jessica robinson and if you're looking for uh you know her fictional stuff look up pembroke sinclair i told you how to spell it not gonna do it again um and check her out pembroke sinclair.blogspot.com from there you can find all her social medias uh twitter's at pembroke sinclair minus the r at the end there um facebook jessica robinson slash pembroke sinclair Jessica, thank you so much for, for spending the time and talking a little nerdy science zombie stuff with us today. Hey, I love to do it. And thank you so much for having it and for entertaining me to allow to do it to your audience. <laughs> Not a problem. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you to Jessica Robinson, a.k.a. Pembroke Sinclair. 
for taking the time to talk about zombies, talk about science. I nerd out on science. I enjoy it. And to talk about her book, Undead Obsessed, Finding Meaning in Zombies. Like I said before, if you guys want to find the book, it's on Amazon. Search for it. But if you're going to go to Amazon, click on that banner at the bottom of the I Want to Know Show.com webpage. It does not cost you anything extra. Just a little extra step. And it kicks a couple of pennies back this direction. I can keep the show free for you guys and keep coming out with more awesome shows. If you want to know more about Jessica and or Pembroke, you can go to the website PembrokeSinclair.blogspot.com. Again, P-E-M-B-R-O-K-E, Sinclair, S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R. You know, I meant to ask her why the different name, and I totally didn't. Maybe I should email her. Anyways... So check her out. Don't forget to check us out. Tell all your friends about the show. Tell them it's really easy to find. It's any podcast app. And if that's too much work, you just tell them to go to IWantToKnowShow.com. Click on the Listen tab. You can listen to it right there. You can find links to get it on your various smartphones or dumb phones. You can follow us on Twitter at IWantToKnowShow. You can give us a thumbs up on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash IWantToKnowShow. And of course, send some emails this direction. It's I want to know pod at gmail.com. Maybe you got questions, comments, uh, guest suggestions. Maybe you want to be on the show. You got something fun and interesting to offer. Please let me know. Send an email. I think that's it for me. So on that note, good night, everybody. Good night.